I have always loved stories, uh, whether they be in movies or in books, about these great battles between good and evil, these lines that are drawn. And I especially love those, those stories, those narratives where you have uh, this hero, they're kind of the unsuspecting hero. They, they don't start off as much uh, like Luke in, in Star Wars or Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. I love the idea that there's this hero that we get to watch develop and become something more as they press into this larger epic battle that they're a part of. I, I love heroes that make a sacrifice, like in Narnia where you have Aslan that is making this sacrifice. You have, um, I think, within all of us, just really deep down, this desire to be part of or thinking that we can be an important part of an epic battle. And, uh, you know, this idea where, where the fate of the world is at stake or the fate of people's lives are at stake. It's like the stakes couldn't be higher and I'm in on this epic journey. Now, we know within the Christian faith that Jesus has already won the war. It's over. Jesus has won. But there are these battles along the way that the Scripture speaks into that has people like yourself and me as these people who are joined into the battle, where there is the starting place where we don't start off as much really, and then we grow and we grow into this stronger and stronger uh, believer. And Paul speaks into this dramatically within the book of Ephesians. Paul tells us that we're all part of a great battle between good and evil, a battle that wages all around us, that we all are a part of, whether we recognize that we're a part of it or not. Now, now some people would say, well, Rob, that's a bit dramatic, right? Um, but I actually don't think it is. You see, we, we have this battle that, that is going on that we don't actually see. It's not a battle against flesh and blood. Paul talks about it as a battle against uh, rulers and principalities that, that kind of govern the world around us, and, and that's what we're, we're battling. And the difficulty with that, of course, is that we don't always see it. But it doesn't make it any less real, right? Like we, um, that battle isn't any less real than the battles that our soldiers fight when they go off to war. The, the battle that we're talking about, this spiritual battle, they're not less real than physical ones. They're just different. They're no less real than physical ones. They're just different. So this next series that we're walking into right now is on the book of Ephesians, but very specifically focusing in on the armor of God. But the trouble is, is that you can't understand the armor of God unless you understand the total context of the book of Ephesians. So that's what we're doing today. We're going to do a bit of an overview on the book of Ephesians so that in the next weeks to come here, we're going to understand at greater levels this battle that we're in and the armor that the Lord gives us to be able to enter into that battle or at least engage within that battle. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 10 through 12, which really um, builds a framework of, of who we're battling. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. And if you don't know where the book of Ephesians is, in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People work very hard to put it there, so don't be ashamed to use it. As a matter of fact, the more you use your table of contents, 
the more familiar you're going to become with the order of the books of the Bible. So please, don't be ashamed to use it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and, the pow- and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we are looking into what it means to be armor wearers, I ask Jesus that you would help us to have eyes that are open to seeing the truth in this Lord, that our ears are open to be able to hear the truth in this, and that our hearts are open, Lord, to be able to receive the truth in this so that we can walk forward victoriously, recognizing where the battleground actually, in fact, is and how you've already prepared us for it, and you seek to have us grow in it. In your name I pray. Amen. So, as mentioned, We cannot understand the armor of God without first understanding the stuff that comes before that particular passage of Scripture. And and so it is important for us to understand uh, the framework of the book of Ephesians. So we're just going to walk it through. We're going to give you some details that for some of you might be interesting. For some of you, okay, this is the time to go get a cup of coffee and you can rewind it later and watch it later if you want. But here we go. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us who the author of the book is. Of Ephesians is. Now, you may wonder, well, why is that important? Well, it's important because the author comes with nuance. There are specific reasons for engagement that this person would have in writing this particular book. Now, this book of the Bible is called an epistle. It's a, it's a letter. And so when you read a letter, you read it in its whole chunk. Many years ago, they decided to divide the Bible up into chapters and verses, but this was originally a full letter. Now, you can imagine when you receive an email and somebody gives you a long email, yeah, it might take you a little while to get through it, but you get through the whole email in one chunk. And so you have to understand that this particular letter to the Ephesian church is intended to be read in one chunk, which then gives us a better understanding of what Paul is speaking into. I just mentioned earlier that Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 tells us who wrote this letter. And it was, in fact, the Apostle Paul. And and it's also important to note when he wrote it. Uh, So he wrote the book of Ephesians likely somewhere between AD 60 to 63. And the reason that that's important is because Paul was under house arrest at this time. It's also the same time he wrote like the book of Colossians, for example. But it's really important to understand that this is just two years before he is to be martyred. And so this is one of the last things that he writes. After having this epic ministry with missionary journeys and establishing churches and reaching people for the kingdom, he writes this letter two years before he will be martyred. And then you might wonder, okay, well, what's the deal, Paul? Like, Why are you writing this particular letter to the Ephesian church? Well, Paul's not actually just writing to the Ephesian church. He writes this particular one in such a way that it's meant to be passed along to all the other churches. Now, all of his letters were passed along to all the other churches, but how one writes matters. And so he writes here in very general terms rather than the specific issues that that particular church might be facing. And so this is a, a general instruction for the whole church 
body of Christ. And so he writes this for people who are desperate to mature in their faith. That's why he writes it. The study of Ephesians will help establish the believer so we'll be able to fulfill the calling that God has given us. And so the aim of this letter is to equip a maturing church. That's the aim. From start to finish, it is about equipping a maturing church. And it presents kind of this balanced view between the body of Christ and the importance and its importance in God's overall economy, right? Like in terms of where does the church sit within the economy of God. And so Ephesians kind of, it transforms our understanding of God's work in and through the church. Here's what I mean. Ephesians chapter 2. So in Ephesians chapter 2, we have this amazing doctrinal statement talking about how one is saved. We're saved by faith through grace alone. Um, sorry, saved through grace by faith. And, and Paul summarizes in Ephesians chapter 2 our individual testimonies as believers, but then also this corporate testimony as a church. And so in, verses, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we got this idea of this personal testimony. And he transitions that into, but you're not alone. It's not just about you and the Father. It's also about you collectively with other believers and the Father. And so in verses 11 to 22, he really stresses this notion of unity within the body of believers and how by one spirit we're all unified into the body of Christ. And so it's important to understand it. Here's some key verses, and I mentioned to you one of the big verses in terms of how we understand our salvation, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. If you have ever, ever in your life doubted whether or not you are saved, listen to this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so this whole idea of, of salvation is this notion that I am saved by grace. The grace of God saves me through the faith that I profess in Him. And then the result of that is good works, right? Like the, the desire of my heart is to do things that glorify the Lord, right? And so that's that kind of connection. And then again, we talk about the unity within the body. Ephesians 4, these are some key passages throughout the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so there's this plea for unity within the body of believers. Ephesians 4.29, one of my personal favorites, uh, because this is about how we communicate as believers to other believers, to non-believers. Like, listen to the powerful instruction here as it talks about our conduct with our words, whether they be written words or spoken words. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. That is an amazing passage of Scripture, and if we incorporated that more into our lives, I think we would see a greater sense of unity within the body of believers as well. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. 
Submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And so what we find within the book of Ephesians is this call to unity. It's a call to understand who we are as we stand before the throne. And, and so one could say that, and actually should say, that this is doctrine. Like Paul is talking about theology here. Doctrine occupies this great, the greatest portion of the book of Ephesians. Half of the teaching in this letter relates to our standing in Christ and, and the reminder of, of how it affects our condition, right? And so you have what you could say a practical theology. Here's the truth. Here's how the truth plays out. That's it. That's the book of Ephesians. And too often, I think we teach from the book of Ephesians and we like to go to those pet verses and bypass all the foundational instruction and just go into the closing chapter. I, I can't tell you how many times I hear people talk about the book of Ephesians and they talk about the armor of God. And so you just hyper-focused in on the armor of God and it is what we're going to do in this series. But again, the armor of God makes no sense apart from the rest of the letter. And so rather than bypass the rest of the letter, let's kind of take a look at it and say, hey, what is actually going on here? What are the nuances involved so that we understand Ephesians chapter 6 as it relates to the spiritual battle and the armor better? So this chapter, in chapter 6, it emphasizes warfare and the struggle of the saints, but to truly benefit from it, we really need to look at everything else, right? So first, as followers of Christ, we need to fully understand who God declares us to be. Um, we also got to come become grounded in knowledge of God's accomplishment for all of humanity. So here's what becomes really important. You've heard me say it this way, whatever has your attention has your direction. I was listening to a Messianic uh, Jewish rabbi, and, and he said it very interestingly. He said, your identity contributes to your destiny. Your identity contributes to your destiny. And so if we understand who we are as followers of Christ, where we stand with him, uh, the fact that we are a chosen priesthood, the fact that or a royal priesthood and uh, a chosen people, the fact that that we are saved and we can be secure in that salvation. Like these are all identity things. And when we're secure in that identity, we're going to be more grounded, more stable. And, and I think it's important that we also then understand that from that, that that identity is is what is being offered to every single person on the planet. This is part of the gospel message. Like part of the gospel message is that you will be made new, and in this newness, you have this new identity, and in this new identity, you have security to be able to walk forward in life. So first, as followers, we got to fully understand who God declares us to be. Because the people around us, the world around us, will have a lot to say about who we are. But so does God. And we got to be able to weigh out whose words are more important about who we are. And the other thing to bear in mind is that um, our present existence and walk must become exercised and strengthened. How we walk in this faith has got to be exercised and strengthened. We've got to continue, we, so, and this has got to continue until we no longer drift back and forth to every kind of wind of doctrine that we come across. One of the things I find interesting is that over the years, uh, especially with the dawn of, of more and more people engaging on the internet, especially engaging in, in different teachings from all over the world, which is fantastic, by the way, just finding awesome uh, preachers from all over the place. 
But there's also this emergence of strange teaching, we could say, uh, and even false teachings. And, and so to be grounded in our identity in Christ, to be grounded in what is true and what the truth actually, in fact, is, will help us to know, okay, what, what do I filter out? Like, what, what do I make sure that I don't allow to be part of my experience as a faith, um, a person of faith, uh, so that I'm not tossed back and forth with different types of doctrine? So that becomes important. So let, let's walk this through. I, I think it's really important that, that we understand how Paul breaks down the book of Ephesians. He kind of breaks it down uh, into three categories that we're going to look at, three main segments. And the first one, you could say, sit. And this is the doctrine. Uh, the first section is chapters 1 through 3, and we can say sit. This is the idea that I want us to get. I want you to imagine that you're with Jesus. And in being with Jesus, Jesus is saying to you, all right, come here, take a seat. I'm going to fill you in on a few things. That's the whole idea behind Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, that we're getting filled in on these different notions, these ideas of what it means to be an individual believer within the body, but then also what it means to be a corporate believer within the body. Ephesians reveals our identity. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 in the ESV says it this way, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And, and, and so we're seated with him. He's kind of saying to us in, in these three chapters, take a seat, Listen to what I'm telling you because this is foundational stuff. So in chapters 1 through 3, Paul begins with this joyful truth that every believer is chosen by God before the foundations of the earth. And, and he says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ Himself, according to the, His kind, sorry, according to the kind intention of his will. That's chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And so Paul teaches us that and helps us to understand that, look, God knew us ahead of time and he planned for us. He wants us as part of his body and that he's got this plan for us in life. There are these things that he's got for us to do. And Paul then teaches about the unity of believers, that these are truths and, and blessings that all believers have in common. And so he wrote to the Christians, that all Christians are adopted as sons through Christ. Chapter 1, verse 5. All are adopted as sons through Christ. Now, here's why that's important, okay? And I'm not going to labor too much on this because, guys, we could be here for days. I get so excited about this book of the Bible. But if all of us are adopted as sons, we were chosen. If we're chosen, that means that we are not a rejected people. That means that you're not unlovable, you're not unforgivable. Uh, like all these different insecurities that we may have about ourselves, think about this. The creator of the universe adopted you into his family. You're not alone. And you're wanted. That's a huge truth. And so anything that comes along, a lie that comes into your, into your mind that suggests to you that you are not wanted, that you are not loved, that, that, that God doesn't want anything to do with you, couldn't be further from the truth. The truth is you were adopted as sons through Jesus Christ if you've accepted Him as Lord and Savior. And so that's key. Never doubt that. Anything that comes up to you that confronts that, you just say, nope, I'm adopted as a son or daughter of God, and I'm going to hang on to that truth. The other one is this. All redeemers, or sorry, all believers are redeemed through His blood. All believers are redeemed through His blood. 
And if you are deemed, redeemed, it means you are bought back. If you're redeemed, it means that the old things, they no longer apply to you. You are something different. You have been brought back into his household. So again, do not judge yourself by your past. Identify yourself with who Jesus says that you are. You are redeemed through his blood. And you are sealed by the Holy Spirit according to chapter 1, verse 13. And this idea of this being sealed is, is this notion that a scroll has been rolled up, a seal has been planted on it, and only the owner of that seal can open it up and change it. And what's inside is what is owned. And what is inside is, is the idea of, uh, well, it's just that, it's ownership. And so then if you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, then who you are, the fact that you are a believer in Jesus Christ is sealed. And the only one who can break that seal is Jesus. Guys, you can be secure in your salvation. So Paul continues to clear up one of the most misconceived and often ignored subjects even to this day. He, he talks about saved by grace, and he wrote that salvation is by grace of God and that it's through faith and that no one can contribute to salvation in any way. It's not Jesus and, it is Jesus, period. And so when people talk about things like Jesus and, it's the idea of, well, okay, but you say, but you need to get baptized, or but you need to do this, or you need to do that, or you need to do... No, it is Jesus, period. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result, listen, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. There isn't one thing we can add that would make salvation happen. If it's based on me, it fails. If it's based on him, it wins. You see what's happening here? Jesus is saying, here, come here, take a seat, let me fill you in on a few things. This is who you are. You are mine. You are mine. You are wanted. You are secure. You have been chosen. You have been adopted. And don't let anyone or anything try to convince you otherwise. If there's any notion that you get that something's trying to convince you otherwise than that, walk away from it because you are sitting with me taking this in. And it's interesting, right? Because in, in this particular letter, Paul does this beautiful thing where he takes us through a process and he says, hey, take a seat, take in these doctrinal truths, this practical theology, and in doing so, Become more grounded, become more secure in who you are in Jesus. And then, and then there's this beautiful language of, okay, so now that you understand this stuff, right? Now that we've taught you some of these basics, foundational truths that are in the scriptures, he says, okay, now I want you to get up and I want you to walk. And I want you to walk in the newness of life and I want you to walk as a person who is dedicated to Jesus. Instead of doing devotions, be devoted. And that everything that you do reflects your devotion to Jesus. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And so this walk idea, if they, if they sit with me and learn these basic doctrinal truths, is chapters 1 through 3. And it can be argued that chapter 4 can be included in that as well, of course. But if we're talking about the idea of living out this doctrine, then chapters 4 to chapter 6, verse 9, is this idea of Christian living. If the first one is doctrine, 
The second one is this practical Christian living that relates to the doctrine. Followers of Christ are to walk worthy of their calling. Worthy of the calling. The gospel is to be lived out. It's to be lived out in marriage. It's to be lived out in families. to be lived out in work and in culture. Uh, in chapters 4 to 5, Paul encourages the believer to work in a manner worthy of the calling. So every believer, listen, this is important. Every believer has a responsibility to live as servants of Jesus. That's That's what it means. And so in these chapters, Paul teaches us that it takes hard work to be in unity with others and that we're to be imitators of God in chapter 5, verse 1. So what we have in chapters 4, verse 6 is Paul advising the church on how to live out the Christian walk in all areas of life. And so he includes instructions on uh, unity and maturity within the body of life, uh, body of Christ, in, in Christian living, in what we do, how we talk, avoiding impurity, handling our emotions, uh, discerning empty words and, and philosophies, like and how to figure those things out. Uh, there's advice on well-functioning families, including husbands and wives, and how this is a picture of, of Christ's relationship with the church and how that needs to be lived out. That's chapter 5, verse 31, but you could say that it starts with chapter 5, verse 21 to 31. And so what you could say about Ephesians is that Ephesians is a handbook on Christian living. That's what's going on prior to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 23. And so what happens is, is that in in chapter 1, it starts with God speaking from the heavenlies, you could say, speaking from those spiritual dimensions. And it ends in chapter 6 where God is speaking again in that spiritual dimension. So it's the bookends, right? And what I think is brilliant about all of this is that within these bookends, it's laying out for us, how do we live this Christian walk first? How am I stabilized, secure, foundational truths in this Christian walk? How do I live out those truths so that it impacts me and the people around me and, and everyone that I engage with? And then lastly... We move from sit with me to now you need to walk to now you need to stand. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 23, and you could say is, is, is this idea of victory in the battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might, not yours, His. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 11 in the ESV. Uh, believers have been resourced by God to stand firm in the face of spiritual warfare. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter 6. And so in chapter 6, Paul instructs the believer to prepare for the spiritual battle by dressing in this full armor of God. And, and it's not like, okay, today I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation. No, it's not like, today. hey, today I'm going to put on these shoes that are ready for, for the gospel of peace, right? Like That's not the idea of it. The idea of it is that Man, you don't go into battle unless you are fully armored. You don't go into battle unless you've got the full armor on. And prayer is the key weapon in the Christian soldier's life. And he emphasizes this principle within the repeated statement, stand firm. Stand firm. Look, more than any other book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians emphasizes this connection between sound doctrine, right practice within the Christian walk. And I think far too often, uh, many people ignore theology, and instead they only just want to talk about the practical things. In Ephesians, Paul argues that theology is 
practical. Like to live out God's will for us in our lives practically, we need to understand who we are in Christ. What's this identity? So here's what becomes really important, and, and I think like we fail to recognize this sometimes. Because again, we, we like to pick on our favorite passages, and we take them out, and we treat them in isolation. But there's a larger story that's going on here. As I said before, uh, there's this book ending, you could say, where it starts in the heavenlies, it ends in the heavenlies in terms of our focus needing to be that which is spiritual. But everything that happens in between is the battleground. Everything that happens in between is the battleground. No, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but how we walk out our faith, how we are secure in our doctrine, this is the stuff that gets attacked. Our marriages get attacked, our families get attacked, our work gets attacked, our, everything about us gets attacked, the church gets attacked, and we, we find things to quibble about that are unnecessary, so he calls for unity, we, we doubt our salvation, we, we doubt our position with Jesus, and so all of these things come under attack. These are the fiery arrows that we're going to talk about later in this series. And so the battleground, the battleground is life. That's the battleground. And every time we just live, in, in, instead of understanding that we're in the spiritual battle, when we just live life, you need to understand that we are walking blindly on a battlefield and we're being hit without even knowing it. We're being hit without even knowing it. When we understand who we are doctrinally, chapter 6, speaking of the armor of God, makes far more sense. Helmet of salvation takes you all the way back to Ephesians chapter 2. How are we saved? We are saved by grace through faith. Put on that helmet of salvation. Why? So that you do not doubt it. So that your mind is absolutely protected and secure from the lies that would come in to doubt that. We're going to talk about these things as we walk forward together. The battleground that the armor is used in are all the previous chapters in Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 6 isn't standing alone. It has everything to do with chapter 5, everything to do with chapter 4, chapter 3, chapter 2, chapter 1. All of it is connected. Correct doctrine and faithful Christian living are the battleground. And the enemies are of a spiritual nature who are impacting the lives of people all around us and not just believers. It's impacting the lives of non-believers, which is why we want to Part of the reason why we share the gospel is to draw them into the family of God so that they have access to who God is and how He identifies them and how He equips them and all of these different pieces of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. But it starts with drawing people in and sharing the gospel with them so that they will choose Him. But I'll say this. You cannot fight well if you don't know where the battle is. If we solely focus on Ephesians chapter 6, and we just say, well, that helmet of salvation or, or, or that breastplate of righteousness, if we solely focus on those things to the exclusion of everything else that comes in Ephesians, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't give us context. The battleground, it's life. So in the rest of the series, here's what we're going to do. In the rest of the series, we're going to focus on the armor of God, and we're going to focus on the armor of God in terms of how it applies to life. That's what we're going to do. Because we are given 
this armor, this armor we are given, we're going to talk about it as we face life being in the world but not of the world. Being in the world and not of the world means that we don't just live it. We don't just live life like everybody else does. We live with purpose. We live with intention. We live recognizing that there is this other reality that is part of the cosmic reality. And so what we actually need in all of this, you ready? We need a cosmic lens. We need to see it differently. We need to see it bigger. We need to see it from God's perspective where God says, this is what I say you are. This is how I equip you. And this is the battleground that you are in. I look forward to engaging with you as we continue in this series, Cosmic Lens. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Jesus, that as we dive into your armor that you have given to us to put on, Lord, that we would recognize that, that there is a spiritual dimension to life that we may have been neglecting for a long time. Lord, would you have us have our eyes open like the servant of Elisha to be able to see your angel armies at work in the world around us and to know that the battle is life, but not against people. In your holy and precious name I pray, amen.